Handbags and Glad Rags with me, Ellie Davis. And me, Rian E. Jones. So today we're going to be talking about the 90s, uh, the cultural politics, the class politics, the gender politics, and how those things all intersect. This is a subject that Rian and I have spent a lot of time talking about since we first met back in 2014 or so, whenever it was. Much earlier. <laughs> When I, before we'd met, actually, I, I remember reading, well, we could be, like basically saying like how the 90s is something that we've always found a lot to talk. It's always been one of those things that's been like one mm-hmm. of the things that we've wanted to talk about, our experiences of and our ideas about. But I remember before I met you reading Clampdown, I think it was before I met you, um, reading Clampdown and your point of, and having a lot of the same thoughts around that time. I think it was around the time of the sort of 20th anniversary of Britpop where everyone mm-hmm. was going on. Uh, you know yeah stuff. and this really um singular idea this very this very kind of simplistic idea of what the 90s was was sort mm-hmm. of emerging in these discussions and I remember reading your stuff in Countdown and you talk about the sort of yeah like the the stuff about the cr- criminal justice bill and all of that sort of stuff yeah the, the, the way of complicating the ideas around the early militant 90s, I think, is um, really interesting. It's something, um, I mean, Alex, uh, Alex Niven brings it up yeah. in his uh, book on Oasis. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, that, the, the first half of the 90s where there was loads of stuff going on uh, and, really, and really quite angry um, militant stuff, including the criminal justice bill, um, road building, um, and, and also, yeah, a lot of a lot of civil liberty stuff. Like there was a lot of um, stuff that was following on from the 80s. I think, um, which you could see in politics and popular culture, and it, it didn't really it didn't filter into mainstream politics at all. Um, and around this time was a lot of discussions around. I think the twentieth anniversary of Britpop mm-hmm. or something like that. And this was there was a lot of discussion of what the nineties meant as a as a decade and what it represented culturally. And it was also around this time that I first read Rian's book, Clampdown, which deals with a lot of these themes and also tries to unpack and challenge some of the kind of received truths and um, obfuscations of a lot of what is talked about when we talk about the 90s in terms of gender and class. So we have spent so much time talking about this over the years that we thought it would be good to devote a podcast to some of our thoughts and experiences and ideas around this subject. Um, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Rian, I don't know yes. if you've got to add to that introduction. <laughs> um, not really. I mean, just, just that it's um, it's quite odd as a historian to see um, history fading into um, current events and, and popular culture. Mm-hmm. Like when I when I was writing Clampdown, it was quite odd to be thinking about the nineties because to me. Um, and I, I keep forgetting her all down, but like to me, the nineties were were sort of they just happened last week. Um, so it it was odd to sort of see um, people engaging in nineties discourse um, and to see how neoliberalism um, had been a product of the nineties and how um, how that was uh, affecting current affairs and current politics. Um, I think I think that we want to. Um, I mean. Well, once you mention the nineties, then um, people swarm in, and the the uh, the discourse that's that's involved is nineties discourse and Britpop discourse. 
I think that we're going to talk about that using a slightly more nuanced way. And uh, we're going to be talking about how gender uh, was a thing in the 90s in, in a way that the discourse doesn't really um, allow for. Um, yeah, definitely. It does seem to be one of those subjects on social media uh, where that attracts certain types of opinions from certain types of people, usually men, mm. and that, yeah, gender is definitely not not foregrounded in these discussions at all. And I think that's one of the frustrations, isn't it, that led you, I guess, to write Clampdown, but also I, I wrote this, like, very puff, puff piece, really, for The Guardian back in mm. 19... What am I saying? 1990... <laughs> back in 2014 about Britpop and about my experience with Britpop, basically saying, like... At the time, it was quite a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And it for me, it represented going out to my silly little suburban indie night. And as a young teenage girl, that was really important to me. So it was taking down some of these discussions around the 90s, which these grand narratives, and it represented this and that mm-hmm. and Blair and, and Clinton. And, and actually saying, like, for a lot of us, this is what was happening in our mm-hmm. everyday lives. And that was quite a positive thing. And of course, it wasn't always like that. And that was a product of where I lived and my class and all sorts of things like that. But it's like taking down these narratives to the experiences of, well, in this case, young women, which mm-hmm. I think is what we want to talk about a bit, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, for me, there were, there were very interesting things happening with gender in the 90s, whether that is sort of Hillary Clinton versus Monica Lewinsky, like the, the, the very sort of... Um, political framings um of gender or things like riot girl um or in i mean in in this country which we'll, we'll probably come on to the um the the sort of new laddism and how um how women adjusted to that and how the ladette was the sort of uh ladette, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. although obviously very yeah yeah so like ladettes in, in this country you know and i was um yeah I was a teenager in the 90s so I was I was very open to all these uh these suggestions of of, of gender that were going on and there were there were Ladettes there were the Spice Girls um there were the, the kind of um that kind of thing or the, or, or there were total mavericks like uh, Echo Belly um or uh Karis Matthews and Cartonia like there, there were um I think we're gonna we're gonna bring this up but like there, there was a whole variety of different ways to be female yes, in the 90s. absolutely. There yeah. was a whole range, whole range yeah. of families. Yeah, it, there really was a really interesting range of things that, yeah, you could kind of dip into, actually, as well. Um, yeah, and I guess we are going to talk about some of these things. Um, so, the um, to kind of go back to sort of what drove us to discuss or to want to talk about these things, to want to do a show on it. I think one of the things we have been talking about was the how we define the 90s and this idea of the kind of how it's remembered popularly mm-hmm. uh, and, and actually ha- what it actually was. And politically, you know, it's often in Britain, Blairism, you know, mm-hmm. Corpuchania, the, there are these kinds of things which are used to sort of represent an idea of the 90s and actually... If you look at the 90s, Thatcher was still in power at the, at the very beginning of mm-hmm. it. And then and at the end of it, Blair was in power and Major was in power for most of it. And that was. Yeah, sort of- that, that poor schmuck. Like <laughs> he was there for seven years. And we just forget about him, even, even though, I mean, and, and to be, you know, to be 
to be brutal, he did a lot of dreadful things. Like there was um, privatization of the railways. Yeah. Um, there was the second round of pit closures. Like a lot of really, really brutal yes. uh, capitalist neoliberal things happened. And to make sure, we, we sort of looked back and was like, oh, he was okay, you know. Yeah, uh, he he yeah. was grey and he he ate peas, etc. Um, but, um, yeah, a, a lot of what he did was just continuing um, Thatcherism. And I think, I mean, I, I, I was obviously quite young at the time, but I remember Thatcher going. Um, and, yeah. the, uh, and the idea that, like, oh, oh right, so we're, we're moving into a new era now, I guess. But we didn't for at least seven years. Um yeah. Until Blair got in, um, and I, th- I think the year nineteen ninety four was um, a real pivotal year because that's when um, John Smith, who, who again John Smith was leader of the Labour Party, died um, of a heart attack in ninety four just after getting in. So mm-hmm. um, there's a, there's a real counterfactual, I think, about how Labour might have gone under John Smith, but instead. Um, Blair got in and he 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 did this very um which we're quite familiar with the, this sort of triangulation um new labor stuff that um that we that we've come to know so yeah from from 94 onwards I think there was um a definite idea that okay we're fed up of the Tories even though um yeah by, by that point we'd had you know decades of the Tories in government and um yeah, but the, the, there was this very definite idea of, okay, that there there is no way in which the Tories can win the next election. It's obviously going to be Labour, um, and it almost didn't matter what uh, brand of Labour would get in. Um, so yeah, even even though Blair was clearly offering something very different to what old Labour, uh, such as myself, people were expecting um we 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 still expected okay labor are going to get in and there'll be a definite sea change um and as we'll probably talk about that didn't actually happen in 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 the way that we were hoping for yeah so yeah there was this really complicated well not complicated but like yeah there was these two halves i guess in terms of the labor party what you've just described um and in terms of like that what that meant you know what the 90s was like to Mm. live through I remember I always think for me and obviously this is a very London centric perspective but have you seen the Patrick um Kyler or Keeler I never know how to pronounce his name film London have you seen it I think it's called London oh god I'm gonna out like lots of Jesus (laughs) Lots of um, a certain type of left Twitter man is going to uh, be paying for my blood for not getting that one wrong. If I have, they're going to um, love this podcast anyway. So uh, <laughs> let's annoy them as much as we can. It's, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's dealing it's dealing with 1992 and the defeat and the, the, the sort of defeat of Labour and the kind of context. It's really like grim, depressing context of London um, around that time in this quite mm-hmm. kind of psycho. A geographic way um but the the images around that time or are of extreme this sort of really grim poor <clears throat> streets of london where you know there's a lot of mm-hmm. um, people sleeping on the streets there's a lot of you know there's a lot of unemployment there's there's a lot of you know like struggle happening and mm-hmm. it's not the image of the shiny <clears throat> 90s london which is often kind of projected um, in that way that we talk, you know, we were saying, we were saying like the way that the nineties gets simplified, um, and 
yeah, like so much of the decades was that that was what it was. And as you say, like major, you know, did a presided over the 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 last wave of pit closures and you know all of those horrible horrendous things. And um, yeah, like it was just a lot of like grimness. Yeah, it was so. I mean, when, when I think back to the nineties, it was we we tend to picture it. I don't know if people write retrospectives of the decade it's in sort of technicolor, and they they look at um, the Union Jack, especially like they look at um, Jerry Halliwell um, dressed in dressed in the flag dress and that kind of thing. And it was, but that that was that was late on. You know, it, it took a long time for the nineties to catch up with that. That for for most of the decade it was grim. Um, and it was it was very grey. I mean, I, I always remember Majors. Um, he he was drawing on uh, George Orwell, actually, when he 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 gave the speech about what I think of of Britain, and it was like um, old, old maids bicycling to, yeah, yeah. to church or that, that kind of thing. And you know, crickets, uh, crickets on the village lawn, and flat beer. <laughs> like, oh God, that's 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 this, this odd sort of like pre sixties, you know, very. Um, very very black and white um 1950s idea of what britain is and we we had already moved on from that in in the 90s but what tories were offering was a return to that um whereas um and part of why new labor was successful was they were offering um this very modern um 60s redux uh kind of very very young country um that's that's what they that's what they gave us, and I think I think that is a lot of what people voted for. Um, yeah. Even though, yeah, it didn't it didn't work out as well uh, as we might have hoped. Yeah, well, I mean, lots of people have said, haven't they, that it was just a wasted opportunity. Like they could have mm. been so much more. That there was so much more space for them to be radical and you know and not mm. not triangulate in the way that they did. But the point being that we now and we now know that they. Blair didn't do that because he didn't want to do it. He was he was quite right wing. Like that was yeah, <laughs> that was the thing, really. Like he wasn't forced to do it. He wanted to do it. So mm. you know that was a key part of his political ideology, his project and his mm. motivation. So yeah, which I, I I don't think was really apparent at the time. Um, I mean, I, I remember everyone thinking um almost like um actually in the way, in the, in the way that Biden has, has sort of revealed himself as. Uh, Obviously, he's not a crypto communist. Obviously, obviously, like the US is so awful. But um, Biden coming out and saying trickle down economics hasn't worked. Um, you know, we 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 kind of thought that Blair would do a similar thing. Like once um, once Labour got in, you know, um, but he didn't at all. I mean, and and there were there were good things that New Labour did. There were everyone everyone keeps bringing up Sure Start, but you know, Sure Start was actually very good. Um, but they, they also, you know, one of the first things that they did when getting in was um, cutting benefits for single mothers. Yeah. You know, yeah. which was a real like, oh, OK. Um, and tuition fees, all, all this, this kind of stuff.
this feels like a good moment to talk about uh, our political, so our developing political subjectivities, such mm-hmm. as they were in the 90s, because I think, again, that's like something that we've often like shared. And for me, it was a really interesting time to be coming of age politically. Mm-hmm. And so talking about Blair, I never liked Blair. <laughs> I never trusted him. Like even oh, there was something like as this sort of he really like didn't fit fit in. It was almost like my, as my kind of indie this sort of punky indie kid kind of sensibility that I was mm. trying to develop. There was something about Blair that I was just like it didn't quite fit in, which is probably quite superficial in a way. But like that's interesting. I mean, I, I think there was a real um, there was a suspicion of him. Yeah. So I had definitely didn't like him. Was obviously very pleased when Labour won that election and uh, it's, a fa- it's a famous family story where we uh, we were living in Chingford at the time for the mm. famously staunchly Tory Chingford where we had lived throughout the 80s. Norman Tebbett. And the 90s yeah Norman Tebbett and at that point Ian Duncan Smith um, mm. and w- when Labour won we all went out we, we stayed up watching it in our house in Chingford and my, my cousins and my grandmother and lots of people were around there. We went out into the streets and sung the red flag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's brilliant. We just sort of like sat back and I, I remember, <laughs> I mean, the 92 election, which is absolutely dreadful because because the Tories got in and I remember my mother just, just being sort of like, fuck you know that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the end of the nhs etc um that the 97 election i remember um yeah my, my parents were divorced by that point but uh, i sat up with my mother and watched it and my mother was like here's to labor you know and we sort of clinked our clinked our glasses etc and i was like oh this is nice you know we, we things are think good things are gonna happen you know and, yeah. and it didn't obviously that didn't work out but the, the it was a moment and I think like certainly one of the reasons we did it it was an act of defiance having like you know been been mm. got been through so many Labour defeats surrounded by Tories like literally surrounded mm. by Tories like I, I never just remember seeing all the vote conservative posters in all the windows and our one little vote Labour poster <laughs> uh and I mean obviously there were some other Labour voters but like it, that is what it felt like so when Labour going to power it was just like right we're, t- we're just going <laughs> to physical like act of defiance outside mm. me not a thing can only get better can only get can only get think it over me you know I know that things can only get
So it was an interesting moment, but but but, but then very quickly, that, that was like quite soon before I went to university, mm. I remember thinking, well, being becoming involved in anti-fees uh, activism and I was the first, mm. I was in the first year of, of people who were charged for university if you had mm-hmm. to pay. Yeah. And that became very quick, that was a very defining moment in my politics because <clears throat> pretty much immediately I was defining myself in opposition to the Labour government. Um, mm. And that was very, very formative and was quite involved. I mean, people don't, this kind of, this has got lost, but there was, obviously we didn't win, but there was quite a significant, I mean, you know this as well, because you were involved, there was quite a significant uh, activist campaign against tuition fees, Mm. you know, by students, but it was never going to win because it didn't have any popular support. There was so much complacency around. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was very odd. I mean, I uh, so I went to Goldsmiths, which which has quite a radical um, reputation. I know you went to to Sussex, which has a similar yeah. um, a similar history. Um, and the idea that so you know I was at university, I was I was ready for student radicalism, um, and and all we all we really had to to draw on to oppose um, was the government bringing in. Uh, tuition fees and, and top up fees, which was I mean, top up fees was was the main thing that I uh, I was active in opposing, um, and and it just wasn't yeah like 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 you say it was um, well the whole uh, the, and, and there's there's probably like a lot of stuff to be said about this the fact that um, tuition fees were actually you know a tax on the middle classes, um, yeah. I was a you know working class student, um, my parents did not earn enough. To be to be charged tuition fees or or top up fees, so so there was that whole like, you know, is is it is it right to oppose this because um, you well, know middle class people that are that are going to be paying for it. Um, for well, of course, sort of the, the the thing that I was I was drawing on was, was you know the principle of free education. Like yeah, everyone absolutely. should be able to go to university. It doesn't really matter if middle class people are are paying or if if they're not. Like we're we're talking we're talking about safeguarding the principle of opening up higher education I remember one there's a couple of things that 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 comes to mind you saying that um because yes obviously like it was a middle class form of taxation initially Mm. um but some of the arguments around it were so pernicious because I remember like people would say things like well why should a bus driver pay for some Mm. middle class yeah, 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 and the, the you know the sort of entrenched classism within that you know, and the entrenched ideas of what university is and what it means, mm-hmm. you know. And of course, on one level, you can take that at face value and argue with it on that level and say, of course, you know, well, a bus driver benefits from having an educated population, and you can you know you can have all of those arguments, but then you can say, well, what well, maybe a bus driver wants to go to university themselves well, exactly. or, like, uh, or uh, whatever. Uh, so it's uh, such uh, a narrow idea of what education is and the other thing um that we used to say and we we argued in our like activism and our occupations and all of this stuff um that didn't gain any traction was that it was the thin end of the wedge right Mm -hmm. that once you start charging for university then that allows you to you know it starts with a thousand pounds and then look and then and you know funnily enough we were proven right you know like it's and it feels very, I still feel really angry about how little support we got from anybody like Polly Toynbee or any, you know, any of these mm. sort of like, people who were later 
latterly supporting the students who were, you know, on the streets when it became politically expedient to do so. Mm. I mean, it totally was at the end of the wedge. I mean, here, here we are with, is it something like 10 grand a year to, yeah. to university now? I mean, when I I think of the, the sort of situation I was in in the early 2000s, you know, it would have it would have really destroyed my my idea of of wanting to go to university if, if I thought okay but I have to f- somehow find 10 grand um and, and the idea um yeah as, as you're saying again like it's the it's the principle of free education that we were trying to safeguard mm. um not just how you and the the, the whole I mean because fees are a very specific thing like I I could have um gone to London and paid my way like I I, I worked um as a student throughout, throughout my degree like I did I did sort of Saturday jobs and, and evening jobs and that kind of thing um it's not about working your way through university it's about the fact that you are asked to to pay a huge tranche of money yeah. for it and that's that's just not right you know that's um that's the principle that we were looking at yeah no yeah totally and it and, and I think what has happened to university education now like going back to that sort of the bus driver point you know Mm. that it's become this very um it's become very siloed and it's this sort of Mm. trajectory of like you go from school to university and and Mm. there's no and the conception of lifelong learning you know that you might go back to you you might go to university with having not you know having not gone when you were 18 like you can't that's not really yeah yeah and I I mean let's let's talk about the bus driver you know why why can't a bus driver become a mature student yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) well why can't why can't the the child of a bus driver go to university yeah yeah absolutely it's just Um, it's just such a uh, yeah it's a very problematic um argument mm -hmm. so yeah that that was a a real defeat it felt like a really significant defeat that and it it feels like it still Mm. hasn't really been reckoned with properly that that was allowed to happen you know yeah very much so I mean it it felt um as as you're saying like it felt siloed I remember um going to uh protests demos lobbies etc um against tuition fees and hopper fees when I was a student um and but but it was I, I I I think we all we all felt it was divorced from real society and, and we'll we'll probably come on to this but like in um you know when, when we looked at side university people were thinking about um opposing uh bypasses you know they were thinking about um so this is a few years earlier but like the, the criminal justice bill yeah, um people yeah. people think about civil liberties um and not really things that were relating to struggles within higher education so yeah we we, we did really feel um sort of siloed I mean I, I, I remember sort of um us marching past um a traffic jam which which we had caused um and some guy just sort of uh, a lorry driver like leaning out of his um leaning out of his window and going oh you just want to fight you smoke your uh, smoke your bongs don't you you know we were like, well yeah but also you know, there's, there's more going on mate and and you and your children maybe you know um there might be a way for for you to take an interest in this yeah. um 
but yeah, it did. It did feel very siloed, and it was. I think it was very easy to dismiss all that kind of thing as like, oh, fucking students. Well, it was deliberately done so. You know, it was mm-hmm. deliberately done so by you know the government themselves, and mm-hmm. also you know their mates working for the Guardian or mm-hmm. you know whoever. Mm-hmm. Like, it really was. Um, yeah, but talking about the um, the sort of civil liberties things, mm-hmm. that that feels like a really significant first you know kind of political um area of activism that was happening in the first part and i first part of the the decade um that again kind of gets swallowed up by other Mm. histories and other movements and yeah yeah road protesting and i remember when i was 14 my brother who was working for the local paper at the time in walton forest um taking me down to Claremont Road, which was one of the, the sort of few remaining terraces and that was trying to hold out against the M11 Link Road that was mm. being built at that time. And um, yeah, it, it, it felt, that was one of the first sort of times, I guess, as when I was, you know, becoming politically active that I'd kind of, that I came up mm. against something like that. It's like, yeah, this is activism. This is people standing up to the man. This is people <laughs> like trying to, you know take action and yeah that that I feel that that's quite closely linked with the, the anti-criminal justice bill stuff as well mm. in my head because it that feels like it was around that was around 94 wasn't it that, yeah yeah I mean I, I feel environmental protest um and things like sort of I guess nascent anti-gentrification um yeah. protest yeah. And, and that kind of um yeah that kind of thing was was a real thing in the early nineties, which we we forget about. I, I I think sort of after, I don't know why I've, I've got on my head ninety four as a as a sort of silo, but it, it feels like after that we just forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And, and there was stuff um, the the McLeibel trial, which I mm-hmm. um, echoes after it because I think one one of the the guys involved uh, turned out to be a undercover copper. Yeah. um and so, so there's there's all these echoes yeah of it that um that influence how we think about it and, and and reflect on it but certainly that kind of anti-consumerism and anti-globalization that that kind of thing was, was very much what I picked up as a you know a person who was sort of casting around for mm. political subjectivities in the 90s it was yeah we we were opposed to big corporations we were opposed to globalization it was it wasn't explicitly um socialist or or anarchist or whatever but it was anti-corporate I guess and and anti-globalist and that's certainly what I picked up yeah and it's interesting you you saying that I wonder whether there's something about the kind of the discourse of Blairism because there was a shift and certainly it was very visible and noticeable in London of things getting a bit better in the mid to late in 95, 96. Mm. Like, I, I think very much of like Islington, <laughs> sorry to say, you know, <laughs> need to go to Islington to Upper Street. My sister was living around there. And my big sister, you know, it was very glamorous, kind of becoming in touch with these sorts of more cosmopolitan, um, mm. interesting urban experiences. Um, and things were becoming nicer and this idea I think which Blairism did really successfully was about like we just want to make things nice mm. you know we and so environmentalism or road protesting or anything like that it, if I remember rightly and I might be wrong it felt like there was a sort of 
a, a lean a, um a kind of desire to dismiss that as like middle class like privileged mm. people doing it and the links yeah. there but because obviously all of those things were very like class was embedded in all of those things like you know mm. people in working class areas are much more likely to be impacted by things like road mm. building and things like that so like but it was became the discourse, the popular discourse around them became like, oh no, that's not a class issue. You know, we mm. want to make things nice. Like, don't listen to the to the sort of worthy road protesters. They're trying to, you know, mm. they're just privileged. They they've got too much time on their hands. What we want to do for you, good honest working people, is give make sure that you can have a credit card and. Mm. You know, yeah, like, I mean, I certainly remember my parents who were like uh, classically working class. Um, getting getting caught up in this and um i mean things things like um the the, the road protest and um swampy i don't know if you want to mention him as like emblem um of the 90s i remember my mother being like oh you know re- really really sort of dismissive um of these um middle class hippies you know even though um she wasn't really benefiting from new labor either but she she, she was still like you know we're you know we've we've got in um let's not let's not um listen to these these uh these liberals i remember having a real um sort of to like a fight <laughs> with my mother about um but well basically climate change um like do we um do we get rid of jobs that are manufacturing jobs whatever in in this country so that um we can have a better environmental impact. And I remember my mother just sort of being like, you know, you're, you're a you're a total utopian pie in the sky um, idealist about this. And this was this was in the nineties, and and we're still talking about that kind of thing today. Mm, yeah. Well, the the the, um, the those kinds of movements, the road protesting and the you know environmental movements and things like that, um, and the criminal justice bill. Um, there was a. It's interesting to think about the, pop, the the culture and the sort of musical culture and stuff that was mm. happening around that, because obviously rave, you know, mm. the, the rave became a big kind of focal point for the uh, activism against the criminal justice bill. Mm. Um, yeah, and the um, I mean, when I, when I think about criminal justice bill protests, it was um, it wasn't. Um, I mean, I'm less look at like today. People are like, "Oh, where is where is the protest songs, etc." And, and when they when they say that, they they are talking about um, white male middle class mm-hmm. guitar bands. You know that that yeah. wasn't the case in the '90s. People that were joining in um, with anti road protests and and McLeibel stuff. It was ones like the Prodigy. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. it was very much like you know non non guitar, uh, yeah. non rock, non white um yeah. bands and 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 uh yeah and, and, the, and the whole idea of of rave and the the idea of collective gatherings um yeah. which the, yeah. the government literally attempted to to stop and, yeah. and to ban in the 90s um yeah. yeah no absolutely yeah the prodigy are a really interesting band in that mm. i think i might have said to you before but they kind of represent that rave, rave culture of the early 90s but i also associate them with the kind of some of the Britpop kind of stuff as well because mm. I remember like the Firestarter got to number one and it was it was yeah, all, yeah. it was played at the indie night I used to go to in Ilford and and so it kind of became almost like a an indie anthem even yeah, though yeah. it wasn't at all it was like um yeah weirdly I like I bracket the the prodigy with 
with Britpop, oddly, even even though I mean I I guess I guess they weren't, but I when when I think of nineties bands, um the prodigy are definitely there and the the weird um because I'm I think Firestarter got to number one and there there were all these um like the front page of the Daily Mail was like, you know, this 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 dreadful they had, they had Keith Flint on the on the front page. It was like what what is he he's the new Johnny Rotten, like what is he what is he doing to your kids? <laughs> it's like no he's he's just a um, nice chap. You know, like he's not um yeah. Not that yeah. not that Johnny Rotten was was hugely uh subversive either, but Keith Flint t- certainly wasn't. Um yeah, so so the whole um the subculture i guess that was yeah. that, that came out of the 90s it was it was something like a prodigy and i just thought they were they were fine they were quite very very mild social democratic i don't even know if they had a political kind of i mean i, I think yeah i don't know well they came out with um let's let's not let them um get away with smut my bitch up that was that was fucking dreadful so oh uh, yes just, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 well <laughs> enabled by all sorts of mm. yeah horrible gender politics of the music industry mm. um, at that time. Yeah. I think oh, I think that is cool. Yeah, well, loads of this. I mean, I love the Prodigy. Um, I think they're great. They were also part. If I remember rightly, there was there was all these like little celebrity pairings that happened yeah. in the sort of late nineties as well. And I think maybe Liam, what's his name from the Prodigy, mm. paired off with one a member of All Saints. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, another member of All Saints paired off with Liam Gallagher. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. Oh God! It was. It was that point in the nineties where, like, all all of this mattered. You know, like it really, it really mattered who people were, were going out with, and we, we kind of had. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of. That's still with us today, but like, yeah, in the nineties, I, I, yeah, I, I just didn't remember everyone going like, "Oh my god, you know who, who is who, what? What is the subject pairing, etc." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, and there was awards. Show, it was like the Brit Awards. It, it felt like it was very like spectacle. There was a <clears throat> spectacle around it, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Fine, but I ain't eating any of that beef. <laughs> and the sort of intersection of like different the junctures of different things happening in the 90s um the there was a when the manix won a brit award for i think design for life or something in 1990 best, best album was it best album? i think they won a few i think they won a few yeah they had loads um i think <laughs> yeah design for, design for life was definitely up there but um it would have been 1995 wasn't 96 96 96 okay 96 so 
there they obviously came up to accept the award and in his acceptance speech Nicky said this is for every single comprehensive school in Britain which the government is trying to eradicate yes yes and that was in 1996 when mm-hmm. when um Major was overseeing all sorts of dodgy education reforms yeah yeah and, and stuff that I mean we're, we're still we're still seeing now like education is uh, being fucked with just, yeah. just across the board um but to see a band uh a a, a member of popular culture um doing that at the time was was extraordinary and like like yeah. um yeah like like we've been saying sort of after 94 everything seemed to sort of quieten down yeah. <laughs> and, and 96 was just a sort of like a meh yeah yeah you know, there wasn't there wasn't that much going on and we were like oh yeah well you know elections next year you know yeah, um, yeah. but um yeah just to, to see the manics just sort of be like yeah by the way you know yeah. <laughs> we're still yeah. we're still keeping an eye on government policy and education was yeah it? yeah absolutely <laughs> i know it was fantastic i remember being absolutely beside myself with love for Nick <laughs> i saw that um yeah. Um, do we want to talk about the Spice Girls? Yeah, let's talk about the Spice Girls. <laughs> I feel we should we should probably insert uh, "Wannabe" maybe in the in the show, um, but it's not it's not really about the song. It's about the for me it's about it's about the video, um, yeah. which is five girls um, on a fucking massive one, just having, yeah. <laughs> having, a, having a great night on a big bender. Yeah, clearly all wearing their own clothes. Like maybe, yeah. maybe not Jerry, but like the, the rest of them are all just like, yeah. Oh, you want me to? to you want me to be sporty? Okay, I'll wear a tracksuit. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> to me, it's brilliant. It's very aspirational. Well, yeah, it is, and it's such a mess. Like, mm. I mean, it's really very clever. Messy, yeah, it's, I think it's done in one in all one take. Mm, yeah. Um. So it's obviously quite a clever, like, you know, video. But it, there's a sort of mess and chaos about it, which was one of the really appealing things about the Spice Girls um, for all yeah, yeah. the issues with them in that those early days. And I mean, I, it's, the song itself I actually love. I think it's an absolutely fantastic pop song. Um, <laughs> and there was something about that, this sort of chaotic energy of, mm. of it, which... which yeah, felt- it's, that's what appeals to me about it. I mean, I... I remember liking it when I was, you know, 14, 15 or whatever. And I, I still like it now when I, when I watch it. I'm just like, this is such a mess. You know, <laughs> like this is, this is just girls on my out, um, which is so much, again, like we'll, we'll probably talk about sort of um, femininity, girlhood um, yeah. in the 90s. It, it, it's so messy and so yeah. chaotic. The Spice Girls video captures that. And um, for, for a lot of, other sort of siloed bits of 90s popular culture um women weren't allowed to be chaotic and mm-hmm. messy mm-hmm. um but the spice girls captured that it was it, it was them kanicki uh missy elliott maybe like they, they, there's so there's so much well i i think about that time and i guess this kind of comes back to one of the points about under my thumb which is like the about the agency of the listener right like we will listen to these things and we'll do what we want with them you know like we'll yeah, do yeah. Them for our purposes and obviously you know there's you can look down on the Spice Girls and you can critique them from all sorts of perspectives mm-hmm. a I think they produced absolutely fantastic pop music mm-hmm. b that song I just remember having some there was something about when the Spice Girls came out and it was also to do with how old I was 
like I was mm. 16, 17, sort of yeah. burgeoning kind of uh, desire and sexuality in my own sort of life and how I felt about things and everything. And there was something about the Spice Girls coming out that was like, oh yeah, like kind of kind of ventriloquized some of some of that. And mm. I just remember having some absolutely fantastic times as a sort of 16, 17 year old at house mm. parties and wherever, you know, just to, to that to that album. Mm. Um, even though we were sort of all indie kids like and, and it wasn't really like the things supposedly the thing that we should be listening to but it was it was quite a lot of fun mm. and and I, you're right like there was other those other things like we were talk, we talked about you mentioned at the beginning Catatonia like Harris mm. Matthews like there was there was this sort of you know really quite interesting energy coming out of um a lot of women artists at the time from like the Spice Girls to you know Missy Elliott to Catatonia. Yeah, the, the 90s was full of really interesting women. And I, I think we've, um, people like Harris, who's abs, abs, as I think I've said to you before, she had her head screwed on. Like she was yeah. such a sensible uh, maverick. You know, like I, I'm not at all surprised to see that she, she has still got her head screwed on. It's yeah, yeah. That she's she's doing what she's doing. Um, but there was her, there were um, TLC, yeah, um, yeah, there was salt yeah. and pepper, um, just just loads of uh, oh, Echo Belly as, as as well. There were just loads of people that were interesting female role models, um, and we didn't, we, you know, we were we weren't we were not forced to take them as role models, but they were just out there, um, and that was really interesting. I mean, I'm thinking of um, just because I've I've read a book talks about them as well, uh, Shakespeare's sister. Oh yeah, they yeah. were very, very interesting and, and very strange, you know, kind of um, kind of aspect of femininity. There were people like Nina Cherry, you know, she was she was still around at that point. Um, yeah, yeah. loads of loads of interesting women. An interesting time to be a woman because you had yeah. all these all these examples, you know. Yeah, definitely. An interesting time to be a young woman. That's how I mm. feel like it was sort of a lot of play. I don't know, there was a kind of playing around with things. And I mean, I'm sure we're, you know, sounding like old, old women. <laughs> yeah, we're so old. old. That's being offered by, you know, women and music stars in subsequent decades. But, but I think in terms of looking, you know, the retrospective on the 90s, this is something that does often get lost. And I, I think mm, that's yeah. frustrating, isn't it? And it's it's also frustrating. It's not so much about women artists, but um I and I've written a bit about this but about, about being an Oasis fan in the 90s mm. and again Oasis get often held up as this sort of example of like I don't know well they're interesting aren't they because the the, yeah, yeah. the, the their early work is has this quite sort of radical raw energy to it yeah I mean we can we can refer people to um Alex Niven's book on oasis and that kind of he's written really well about that hasn't he about what definitely may be sort of represented and then if you look at what happened to them Mm. um they sort of represent something about how how what that kind of what was always going to happen to that kind of energy in Mm. that in that sort of political cultural climate you know they just became sort of a bit over, a bit bloated, a bit overblown, a bit, you know, lacking. Yeah, I love, I, I think bloated is like exactly the right, <laughs> the right term. Like they just got so sucked in to London culture, um, sort of cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine yeah. culture. I mean, if, if people, people don't like, 
uh, explicitly reference cocaine, but it is all about cocaine. Like they, they, they. Got oh, I think people do, don't they? I think cocaine is kind of quite a big part of the. Okay. I'm, I'm reading the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading the wrong reviews. Um, but yeah, when when um when be here now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Out, and I think we've we, we've had this before. Like it was, it was so. It's very like um, New Labour getting in. Like yeah. <laughs> every everyone was really excited about this. <laughs> and then we were presented with it. So we, we were presented with New Labour on the one hand, and we were presented with um, with BQNL on the other. And we were like, oh, really, guys? You know, <laughs> this, this is absolute shite. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it it sort of still had elements of like the good stuff from the beginning, but it was like, yeah. oh, it just be, this has just been allowed to kind of yeah, yeah. and fester and look in on itself and kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, there was nothing new being said, was there or offered? Mm. Or offered. I but I, I mean, as a fan, I always had a, a lot of fun mm. gigs and um, dancing to their music and all sorts of things. So like, I will defend. Oasis to a degree from the perspective of a fan and from the perspective yeah, yeah. of someone who knew you know as as young girls as you know young women we knew how to how to have a good time and to use music for what we, what we mm. wanted to use it for absolutely shall we talk shall we talk about Bridget Jones because I would never have expected to find myself talking about Bridget Jones but <laughs> <laughs> you brought up a really interesting um perspective on it um yeah i mean for my for my point i i think that it's interesting to look at bridget jones as a a comedy of female neurosis yes um versus so much else that was going on in the 90s i started reading down like sort of prozac nation um vision suicides which is both both the the book and um and the film and and the whole idea of um very very neurotic and and passive femininity like a, a heroin chic even though um one, one of the sort of spearheads of heroin chic was kate moss who who is actually you know a, a millionaire businesswoman and has done really well out of it um but that idea of what femininity was in the 90s was uh counterposed to things like Bridget Jones, which was very, um, as I think you're, you're going to talk about, it, it was anti-heteronormativity. Um, yeah. It was about single women. It was about unmarried women. Yeah, I mean, I think that that idea of like reclaiming um, female neurosis as comedy is really mm. important when it comes to Bridget Jones because there is. I I actually read it. I mean, she's a, she's an incredibly important '90s cultural figure. Mm course because that's when the I think the first I think the second book also came out in the 90s but anyway the first book definitely came out in the 90s and the film I think in the late 90s um but she I only I only read it I I mean I I read it relatively recently I read it about 10 years ago and um going reading it and going straight to the source Mm -hmm. was actually very illuminating because I was like this book is so much more interesting than it's given credit for and that in some ways the film gives it credit for um but I think the film captures some of it but the the, the brilliant thing about Bridget Jones is she captures the sort of absurdity of, of of being a woman in the world like being a sort of you know 30 something heterosexual woman who's mm. sort of somehow feels like she has to get married and she's going to family parties and people are saying why aren't you married yet and she's like well I just want to get drunk and smoke fags and, 
and she sort of that is kind of what she wants to do but she also sort of wants to have a boyfriend and mm. and, and she's surrounded by these quite kind of suffocating coupled up friends and so it gives you get quite this you get this sort of quite marginal perspective mm. on on the kind of heteronormative um lifestyle yeah, and she's really, I, it's very funny. I, I feel that that perspective again has been kind of siloed, and we will we perhaps touch on this in the marriage episode. But the 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 idea of thirty something women who are just not that interested mm. in getting married, or you know, like we're still here, yeah. <laughs> and we do have we do have something to offer in terms of um, in terms of culture and and society, but the. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. And I think Bridget Jones really like dramatizes the the kind of push, the detentions mm. of all of that, mm-hmm. and, and the pressures because yeah, yeah. it's obviously very present and very real, and the desires which are also real, but also the all the other stuff. And and yeah, the, there's a real the sort of the absurdity of it. Mm. All. She's not. It, it's not some kind of serious commentary on. Mm or some kind of po-faced commentary on women's obsession with their weight and, you know, they're, they're drinking too much. It's, it's a sort of, it's a kind of acknowledgement of this is what you do to kind of get through this, mm. <laughs> these, these quite trying experiences that we're put through. Yeah, very much so. And I, I think, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's comic. Like I, I really appreciated yeah. how, uh, how comical so much of, of Bridget Jones is, whereas um, a lot of the rest of the 90s um, were, were grim and depressing. Um, and they had, I mean, even something like Sex in the City, you know, it was like, oh, why why aren't we married? Um, you know, Bridget Jones was like, well, pff, the, the perfect man probably doesn't exist, you know, all, all you can do is kind of plow through life, recording uh, your um, units of booze. Um, again, it's been it's been lost, but like so much of the nineties was about um, as we've been saying, like there's 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 many more ways to be a woman, yeah, um, and 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 to be feminine. It doesn't it doesn't have to be um, oh I'm neurotic because I haven't found a man yet. You know, yeah. it's like well no, I'm just I'm just going through my life. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> Yo, tell you what I want, what I really really want. So tell me what you want. If you wanna be my lover, you 